I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of The Gibson Review. In each episode, we talk about our week in review before moving on to a main event, which is usually about a particular topic of discussion or a review of a film. Then, our final section is Film Faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching through time. And that is what we are doing with this episode. Our main event in this episode is a review of Alicia Vikander's Tomb Raider. And film faves in this episode is the year 2000. But first, let's go through our week in review. Shanna, I have not really had an opportunity to see much on my own, but you were laid up for about a week, and you got to watch something yourself. A lot of something. Do you want to talk about that? About 50 episodes worth. That is an insane <laughs> amount of episodes. I, th I think an episode is only 15 minutes each, so what is this not up? bad. It was Steven's Universe, which is a show about a team of magical beings called Crystal Gems, who are guardians of the Earth. And Steven is half magical, they call him half gem and half human. Amongst all his adventures, saving Earth, animals, and misunderstood people or gems, he is also a boy being a boy, loving on fries and waffles and pizzas there's about five seasons so far and it's still going strong We're, so your heart won't be broken after is this on like nicktoons typically ah, or? so this this airs on cartoon network but i watch it on hulu and all the seasons are there so that's pretty convenient and so there's no ads it's how so many exciting. seasons did you get through with 50 one. episodes? One. I got Just one. one. One season? So yeah. each season has over 50 episodes? Yeah. That's insane. I mean, I haven't looked at the other seasons, but that was definitely season one. That's nuts. What, what, okay, so first of all, did you finish season one? Yes, I finished season one, and I loved the first season. So I had a few things revealed to me too soon, so I'm struggling with, well, I read about XYZ, or I saw... ABC with one of my charges so when is that going to happen uh, yeah. and will this lead to that because it, it was just one of those episodes I always see the episode I'm not supposed to see this show will make you feel hungry because <laughs> this boy is eating all sorts of food like oh. ice cream and pizza and it's not even like drawn in the super appealing way but it's all about how he feels about the food that'll make you want the food too huh I love the friendships, the, there's forgiveness that happens, there's this constant striving to understand each other rather than be hurt and never speak to each other again. It's lovely messaging. At one point he gets on a bus to run away, uh, he gets into so much trouble that the gems ground him for a thousand years from watching TV. A thousand so, years? Yes, because I think they're like 5,000 years old and that's established in like Maybe episode two. That includes Steven? No, Steven's just, he's half human. Okay. So he's just, I don't know how old he is, actually. Okay. But that was so great because even though these there's these crazy things that are happening, which you usually see in 
cartoons. Yeah. There's actually consequences that go with it. Okay. And so I think it's fantastic for children to watch because when something, you know, it teaches, Stephen's a really good role model for any boys out there and any girls out there. But it's also a show that you can binge on and I feel like you don't have to worry about your kid getting a wrong message. Mm. It's like one of those few shows you can do that with. The other show would be like, my Little Pony Friendship is Magic, right. you know? Okay. It's not going to be like, oh, well, I'm watching Cow and Chicken, Cow and Chicken or Uncle Ryan Grandpa or, okay. or or that, where there's no consequences. Gotcha, gotcha, so, gotcha. Yeah, that was really great. So that is Steven Universe, which you can find either on Cartoon Network or on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And so, I recommend watching from the beginning if you can, because it's worth it. So is it serialized? Yeah, this like they'll some are episodical, uh-huh. but then like it's this huge web where something will happen in season, you know, in episode one, uh-huh. <clears throat> and then you it it'll continue in, in episode eight and twelve. You mean it'll pick up on 16. that? Right. Yeah, but other things okay. are happening in between that are connected as well. Gotcha. So it's really cool. Okay, very cool, very cool. Uh, we have watched. A handful of movies ourselves uh, together in our week in review. Let's start with 1991's Thelma and Louise, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Gina Davis, Susan Sarandon, and most notably a young Brad Pitt, as well as Harvey Keitel. Yeah, I was about to uh, say, too, he's more important. I believe, uh, is it uh, Michael Madsen that's in it as well, who plays uh, Susan Sarandon's boyfriend? Oh, God, yeah, with, like, a full head of hair. Yeah. Like, real hair. Dark, yeah. real hair. He's pretty young. Yeah. So, you've never seen this movie before, so we no. finally got around to checking it out. It's, of course, known for its feminist themes. It's kind of like a, a milestone in feminist cinema. And I thought I'd seen it because it's so iconic, but it turns out, as I was watching it, I realized I've actually never seen it before. So, but first, I'm curious, what were your thoughts about the movie, knowing that it's a movie about women directed by a man? Did that affect the film at all? Or, you know, these kinds of movies typically appeal to you greatly. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts in general. I feel like Ridley Scott and his team for behind the scenes, as in not the actors, kind of created this skeleton and I feel like all the actors, but most especially Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon, created everything that goes into creating a human, essentially. So they were, they added more to the skeleton. They created this whole movie. I think it was really a neutral movie from the director. I feel like he didn't give a lot of direct. I, I feel like he wouldn't have to give a lot of direction. I know that sounds weird. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't see him shining through in this film. I feel like it's the Susan and Gina show. Okay. Now, it is important to note it is written by a woman, even though it is directed by a man. It's written by uh, Callie Corey. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly, who also, uh, this is her first film she wrote. She went on to write something to talk about in The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, which I believe we've talked about briefly before in past episodes. Mm-hmm. I want to say that, you know, watching this film, 
this is what was being played in my head over and over again since I was like a six-year-old. Like if you did something to a boy, no one was going to believe you. Can you clear, give context of where that message comes from? Well, in the, the film, movie? they talk about how no one's going to believe them mm-hmm. about this particular incident that took place mm-hmm. that involved a man. Mm-hmm. And no one's going to believe you because you're a woman and because you were being nice to him. Right, right. Which, like, as little girls, you're, you're told to be nice to everybody mm-hmm. all the time. And, yeah, don't be, a, don't be a shithead. But, no, I'm, you know, like, we're in an age now where we can tell our daughters, you don't have to be nice to everyone. Mm. You really don't. Don't be a prick, but... But yes, back then, especially in, in the context of the movie, there is definitely that is evident and one of the reasons why they go on the run because they don't feel anybody's going to believe them because they are a woman. Well, and then it just keeps getting worse, and I think that this is a movie that absolutely every woman can relate to in some way. The way they have written in different circumstances that happen to women that are hugely offensive, super harmful and dangerous are well covered you know everything from i don't know it was just there was so much there was just there was so much anyway go watch it you know just things that'll make you cringe but what was nice was it wasn't predictable i didn't see the circumstance i'm talking about i didn't see that coming okay Actually, okay. I thought everything was going to be hunky dory, oh, um, and it was not hunky dory. It no. was, it was just awful. It does take a turn. Yes, the, that turn isn't the rest of the movie. Like, it's not dark the rest of the film. No, because there's little moments where both of them have these little moments where they're letting go yeah. and just trying to trust the men around them, and mm. they get. Mostly, they get burned by it. Mostly, know? it's Gina Davis, who's uh, her her character Thelma, is far more naive than Louise is. Well, and you could you could even take you know there's a scene in the kitchen where the phone is ringing, and she's saying she's gonna get it, and she gets it, and it's Louise, and they talk, and then they you know they say goodbye, and. Her husband comes in, mm-hmm. and she hunches her shoulders as if she's going to get smacked. And this is in the first uh, 15 minutes of the film. Yeah. Her husband, by the way, is played by uh, Christopher McDonald. Miss McDonald, yeah. I believe. Who went on to make a career of sleaze and, du- sleazes and douchebags. Well, he, you know, some actors just do so well with that. Yeah, right, right. But... What was interesting as well in this film is there are these moments of revenge where I'm like, they'll do these revenge, this revenge moment, mm-hmm. and I'll be like, oh my God, can we do more? Let's do more. And I'm like sitting there clapping my hands. But I think that all the men are portrayed as insensitive, stupid, arrogant, advantage-taking, selfish pricks in this film. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to take too much time on well, this I'm particular movie. About it, but so. it sounds like this movie definitely held up for you. Yeah, it was fairly neutrally shot. There's one fashion uh, scene. Well, also it's themes and, and everything. It doesn't yeah, seem quaint and, and, and all that. Yeah. Uh, I would say for me, there are only three movies by Ridley Scott that I really like. Alien, The Martian, and this film. We've talked about Blade Runner. 
before we kind of did a review of Blade Runner and that was one that we were kind of we admired but were kind of cool on mm. right that's maybe like you could kind of say fourth for me I'm not a huge Ridley Scott fan is what I am admitting to here uh, but I was very surprised by Thelma and Louise I, I found it very entertaining and enjoyable very interesting and surprisingly relevant it's interesting how relevant this film is 25 years later well, how well it, how it's held up. Now we've got Time's Up and Me Too. Yeah, yeah. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see how, like, the next generation will interpret this film. Yeah. So you can find Thelma and Louise on, I think it was Hulu, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, that we watched it? Yeah. All right. So next up, uh, speaking of Hulu, we also watched Detroit, which was a 2017 film by Catherine Bigelow and written by Mark Bull. This film is based on true events in Detroit in 1967 during the riots that were taking place in response to, from what I understand, a group of African-Americans who were arrested for having some sort of a party or uh, some sort of illegal activity. I don't know if gambling was involved. I, I don't quite recall or it was a little unclear, but mm -hmm. they were raided and, and arrested. The black community in that... The black community in that neighborhood was outraged. Next thing you know, they're destroying the neighborhood that they live in. Well, they're rioting. Right. Anyway, during this time, some people are, are in a nearby hotel, the Algiers. One of the attendees foolishly takes a toy gun and playfully shoots at the SWAT team and the... the armed the National Guard and all that sort of stuff, which just immediately snowballs into this much more intense and dangerous situation. This film stars John Boyega. I think he's probably one of the most famous names in the film. Anthony Mackie also has a small supporting role uh, in the film as well. Is Anthony Mackie the guy back from the wall? Anthony Mackie, and yes, he is. He is. Shanna, this is Catherine Bigelow's first film since 2012's Zero Dark Thirty. What did you think of Detroit? Well, for me, this kind of film always has the same effect on me. I always hate white men afterwards. I always hate the past after seeing a film like this, and find it incredibly difficult to speak afterwards because I'm in this state of why did people ever treat each other like this? It was a good film. I had no idea it was based on a single true event. I thought it was oh. just a combination of events. Hmm. But then, you know, finding out that that incident that took place at the hotel was real, that made it, you know, it just added more interest for me. Uh-huh. I thought it was a good film. I don't really have anything particular to say about it other than the story was told very well. And I say that because I experienced, I felt the immense fear, the mm. anger, the shock, the terror that the characters were portraying. So mm. in that sense... The, the African-American characters. Yes. Mm. Well, and then there's, you know, disgust in... Mm -hmm. against your own humanity which I guess was portrayed by the white girls that were there mm -hmm. because she couldn't believe what was happening 
when you say against their own uh, humanity, you mean uh, against you know humans other hating whites. humans, yeah, yeah, and and that too. Yeah, there was a huge range of emotions between the different characters. No matter how it doesn't matter how long they were on film for, they even if the camera was only on them for like two minutes. Mm-hmm. They gave it their all. Mm. And so the performances were really outstanding, I thought. Okay. And it was a very darkly shot film. It was very... Yeah. Not grungy, it was... But lighting-wise... It was, it was, it was a docu-style. Yeah. Yeah. So it was... And it was very observational at the same time, too. Yeah. So I, I think that this is a good film to watch. I didn't think it was as good as... Catherine Bigelow's best work. I, I feel like The Hurt Locker mm-hmm. and uh, Zero Dark Thirty are among her best, and I think um, this take, takes a little bit of a step back. It's interesting that she chose this story. Obviously, it makes parallels to the issues of uh, police brutality that were especially happening in 2016 and 2017. So it was, it was uh, very much a mirror of, once again, the past being repeated in, an, in a particular way. I do feel that there is about an hour, feel like at least an hour of screen time that is just on these characters being lined up against a wall. That is incredibly intense, mm-hmm. but it also feels like is carrying on for a long time and I don't know if the intent is to try to make it as close to real time as possible so you understand as a viewer how God, long I hope it wasn't longer than that this was carrying on and how how these officers who were flexing their muscles their their might against these these uh, people kept digging their heels in and, and making the situation worse but the film is almost two and a half hours long. I feel like it could have been a little leaner, and maybe it would have been more a potent film as a result. I can understand as a result why this film didn't get much talk during the fall season, the awards season, as uh, because of it. Because it was it was fine. It was a good film. It's not terrible, but it definitely could have been better. Uh, do you have anything else to add before moving on? I do agree. I don't think it's her best film, but I thought it was it wasn't a bad film. It was a decent film. Hmm. So that's Detroit, which is available on Hulu. Next, we finally caught up with Darren Aronofsky's latest film, Mother. Or Mother! As it does have an exclamation point at the end of the day. This stars Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem. Uh, boy, Shanna, mm. you, we could probably unpack, yeah. spend an hour unpacking this film. Yes. Let's let's try to spend only a couple minutes giving mm. our general thoughts. Okay. We obviously can't get into specifics about this no. movie because it's one of those mm. very unusual and unique experiences. But uh, in general, well, what did you think of Mother? I do not recommend this film if you are trying to get pregnant, if you want to be pregnant, oh, yeah, know, if yeah. you have a one-year-old, if you have a one-week-old. Like, if you're in that period of, like, I want to get pregnant to my kid is four, don't watch this film. Just wait. Yeah. It's okay. You can wait. It's going to always be there. This was a beautiful artistic film. 
Okay. This were it had stunning lighting, it had stunning set design, it had stunning visual effects. Is my subconscious brutally battered because of this film? <laughs> yeah. It's taking a while for me to clear what went down. I like how you phrased that as though someone was asking that. Just just naturally going to ask that question. <laughs> Look, it, there's so many themes that happen here. There's so many realizations that you have when the film ends. Like you start making connections. Like, oh, well, this happened, so that must mean this. Mm. And you're going to constantly, like you said, unpack different things that are happening here and quite frankly different times of your life may you may take different interpretations with this film mm. so that is about as vague as i can get yeah i mean i think you're either going to take the time to chew on this film or you're going to hate it so much you're not you're not going to want to spend a minute thinking about it it is a very divisive film um a lot it's of, a very unpleasant film. Yeah, there's a it's lot of cruelty. A bizarre film. Mm -hmm. It's it's next to pie. It might be an Aronofsky's most bizarre film. I think I've seen all of his movies, uh, all seven of his films, and uh, this one is this definitely out there. I do commend Paramount for giving this film a wide release because it is very challenging. Even though I don't think it's a successful film, and I, by I mean creatively successful film, I think we would I would rather see more films like this than Transformers. Oh yeah. You know. Things um, that are gonna make you think. Yeah, but this is near the bottom of the pile for me uh, in terms of Aronofsky's work. Yeah. I couldn't articulate why without getting into specifics, and we just do not this have time for definitely that. definitely like a spoiler discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> we're just, we're just, our remarks are basically, yeah, that movie. Yeah, I think we'll have to let it go now. I know, yeah. So that's more or less, Mother, <laughs> we're, we're, we're befuddled and very, we were not enamored with it. Let's just put it that way. Lastly, what was what did we watch? The Florida Project. Oh, we finally caught up with the so Florida Project, which is by <laughs> Sean Baker, who got a lot of attention in the film community a couple of years ago with a film called Tangerine, which was all shot on his iPhone, and was about uh, transvestite hookers in Los Angeles. Uh, one felt spurned by a boyfriend and was looking through the city to find him. That was that was definitely a good film, not one that I. Think thought quite lived up to its reputation but was definitely worthy of discussion and and seeking out mm. what did you think of the florida project was it worth all this weight and anticipation that we had i think so i mean compared to mother i <laughs> we, to i'm clarify, gonna compare everything to mother now <laughs> yeah we had a we, we did um have a, mar a, a double feature between mother and florida project which is admittedly a little odd but those were the two movies we were most interested in seeing god that was the worst decision of our lives quite well, frankly and detroit was the night before okay so so it really wasn't good your thoughts on florida Project. anyway so this compared to detroit the cinematography was very colorful very sunlit which if you're from washington and you see the sun it's like oh ah! so mm. it was very exciting it was very bright even when something sad was or difficult was happening mm. it was just it was such a it was just really interesting how 
the cinematography unfolded and kept constant with the storytelling. Mm. I had no idea about uh, what this film was about. It's about the part of the population that's suffering so heavily from poverty, but they're not quite homeless. Instead, they stay at motels. Right. What are they called? The uh, missing, not the missing homeless, but the forgotten homeless or something like yes, that? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I like that when certain things were being experienced, it wasn't being bashed over our heads. Like, if you were paying attention, you could figure out what was going on. Yeah. So it was, you know, they trusted the viewers. It was beautifully shot and just stunningly edited, and the performances were great. They were so authentic. Authentic. I love the majority of the film. We saw it from the children's perspective. And it is, yeah, it is from a particular child's perspective. And, you know, we've all been kids. We can all relate to what's going on. I could relate to going into an abandoned building and breaking stuff. You know, the extreme thing that happens. I won't spoil it, but I, never, I could never relate to that part. I could relate to hiding under the steps to keep cool and have a little hideout yeah. but still be in reach of adults uh, if needed yeah. type thing. I just thought it was a really beautiful movie and I would recommend it to anyone. Yeah, so this is this is a movie that is definitely about kids uh, in these situations. It's, it focuses in particular on a particular child named Mooney and, and her and her mom. Her mom is, you know very interesting because she definitely had her child young and you know she's not doing well in life right i mean they are one step away from being without a home and and she clearly loves her child and she's doing everything she can for her child and i think that's one of the interesting things even if everything she's doing is you know not wholesome it's not you know helping or getting them out of their situation she's basically living day to day trying to pay for their room week by week you know whatever way she can but i really liked the that that character and the actress who plays her she's one of uh, several first-time actors uh, that was cast in the film is a mix of experienced and first-time actors. Willem Dafoe is the most experienced, of course, and kind of the name in the movie. He's great in it. He plays Bobby, who's a manager of the hotel. Um, yeah, he was a lovely character. Yeah, he's he's you know got this interesting line that he's walking where he is authority, but he's also a part of the community because he also lives in the motel too, mm. and he's just super patient. And, and very kind, and he deals with a lot of interesting situations in really cool ways, really helpful ways, or in, in positive ways, you know? The, Sean Baker has said several times that he based the kids, or were, the kids were inspired by Our Gain, which was a series of shorts way back in the day, set in the Depression era, and you can kind of see that um, via the names of the children, and the fact that they just have this free reign in this, uh, you know, very depressed area, more or less, that's just outside of Disney World. Well, I don't feel like it's depressed because there's all these magical buildings, well, magical-looking buildings. But they're like, they're kind of like, you know, these cheap rent places, mm. you know, that are 
exploiting the fact that they're near Disney World. Mm. You know, like it's called the Magic Castle or Future Land or, you know, things along those those lines. Yeah. And actually, you know, there's a scene where tourists do actually get confused <laughs> and they think they're going to be booked on Disney World property, but they, they aren't, you know. So there's, you know, there's definitely something to the names that's that has some irony and some, not malicious, but there's definitely some intent to exploit its, its environment, right? But they're also, this is not a well-off area at all. So it didn't quite live up to what I was expecting, but it is, if you're a fan of Sean Baker's work, I think you will definitely enjoy this film. Uh, That's the Florida Project, and I would give it probably about a 7 out of 10. All right, Shanna, that wraps up our week in review. Now it's time for the main event in our review of Tomb Raider. What's your name? Laura. Sunny? Croft? Laura, your father's gone. You can pick up where he left off. I see so much of him in you. Brilliant. Hello, Sprout. If you're listening to this, then I must be dead. I found something. A tomb called the Mother of Death. If Trinity succeeds... Our world is in danger. Promise me you will stop them. I promise. I think I know where my dad went. That's right in the middle of the Devil's Sea. It'll be an adventure. Death is not an adventure. You shouldn't have come here, but I'm glad that you did. What do you know about my father? Now I see the likeness, the recklessness. Close the tomb once and for all. The fate of humanity is now in your hands. That was from the trailer to Tomb Raider, directed by Roar Uthgog. And we're not a, sure if we're saying it right. Yeah, I, I, I am more than likely butchering at least that story. We are so sorry. But that's a Nor- Nor- Norwegian? Uh, he's from Norway? Yes, that's right. Norwegian <laughs> director. <laughs> the stars Alicia Vikander, Dominic West, Walton Goggins, Kristen Stott, Scott Thomas, Daniel Wu, and Derek Jacoby. This is, of course, another crack at trying to make a good, not only video game movie, but Tomb Raider movie. Now, whenever we have a feature review, what we like to do first is focus on the good. What do we like about a movie? Because sometimes... It's way easier to focus on the bad than the good. So let's 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 focus on the good first, then we'll move on to the bad, open up to general thoughts before we talk about spoilers and our final thoughts about the movie. So, I'll I'll start with this one. Tomb Raider is one of my actual favorite uh, video game properties. I have several of the Tomb Raider games. I'm not a fan of the original PlayStation 1 just because it's because have... her boobs are too big, isn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, I'm just not a fan of the graphics. I have a hard time with the graphics at that time. Um, I'm more of a fan of the PS2 and PS3 Tomb Raider stuff. At any rate, I am very familiar with Tomb Raider films. Saw both 
uh, Angelina Jolie films. I think it took me a while to come around to the second one because I was like, well, that can't be great. But I saw the first one. It was not too shabby when I was 20, 21. But it is, of course, a film that has not held up well at all. The visual effects are pretty atrocious. It's fairly silly. Its focus is very much on making Laura Croft look badass. Um, it does sometimes even get a little exploitative. In particular, there's a there's a, a completely unnecessary shower scene that you're like, all right, so she, she takes showers. That just happened. That's very clear oh, look, what it's doing. She's a normal human being. Right. <laughs> right. But a normal human being who whips her hair in the shower and, you know, does these uh, ridiculous Man, poses. even if I whip my hair in the shower, it's because I feel damn good. And that happens maybe once every two months. Yeah. Anyway, so the Angelina Jolie films, they definitely were what they were. And they were not great. They have not held up very well. I think director Simon West is definitely a, a strong reason why that is. He's not that great director for hire but so i was really hopeful and really excited about this tomb raider right can they make not only a good tomb raider movie get it right this time but can they make also by turn a good video game movie that is a genre that is just struggled non-stop and for me i think this film succeeds i think it is what it it, it, it it is what it aims to be which is a solid action film that happens to be based on a video game property it is loosely based as i understand it on the reboot from 2013 i think it is on ps3 don't um, you have that one in a 10 oh yes i got the super special awesome version of it uh, now okay. the sad thing is though i've hardly touched it so i haven't gotten very far in the game that's just life has gotten in the way of that but we have some interesting angles on the Laura Croft character in this film it starts off in really unexpected ways I, I feel like it's really fresh it's got an interesting angle it this Laura actually struggles this Laura is not a badass yes she's fit but even being fit she gets hurt she's in situations that are not the norm for her and she's basically trying to survive the story i should back up i guess the story is basically laura croft's dad went missing seven years ago she just won't let go and, and holds on to hope that she that he's alive upon a meeting with a lawyer about to sign papers that would basically give her the entire croft estate she gets a clue that essentially one step leading to another sets her off on a journey to find her dad where he potentially went missing and it ends up being all about this japanese myth and whether or not that's real and bad guys are encountered adventure and and such ensues is that a fair take on the film sure yeah all right, cool uh, it's i think you should be specific about the Japanese myth. It's about a witch. I think you can just say that. Yeah, supposedly this very first emperor was a sorceress and she would kill people with the touch of her hand. Did they say emperor? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it was the very first empress. Yeah, it was like way back in the beginning okay. of, you know, uh, 
organized Japanese culture. So there, I found a lot to like. I, I found myself really enjoying the action, really enjoying the stunts. I, for the most part, bought into the visual effects and the practical effects. There's some oh shit moments in it that put me on the edge of my seat. The villain who I was most worried about based on the trailers ended up not being as one-dimensional and ridiculous as I expected him to be. So that was kind of nice. Can get into that a little bit more in spoilers. Uh, but yeah, I found a lot to enjoy and just have fun with this film. And it is probably the best video game movie ever. Shannon, so, what, what, what did you like about the film? Okay, so I love that she got hurt. Because I thought that that was very practical. Okay. And I love that they showed her sweaty, but not in like a baby oil right kind of way it yeah. was like a grubby sweaty yeah like, i'm fighting for my life here yeah don't I, get too much pleasure out of this right i just went through a bunch of brush and now i'm really really dirty and, and i almost died 10 times in one day right you know? yeah whatever, whatever it was yeah and i mean there's one body gore moment and what's nice is i know this is a weird thing to say but if you pay attention to how women are portrayed in action movies Michael Bay kind of had a lot of popularity between I don't know maybe 2000 to, to 2008 2010 at least in South Africa okay and where I'm going with this is when you hear uh, the actress playing Laura Croft like huff and puff and, and try to get somewhere and just physically straining or in physical pain, uh -huh. she isn't annoying to listen to. Whereas Michael Bay's Megan Fox in whatever, Pickett, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Transformers, it's highly sexualized. Is that particular to Megan Fox or... Because you're talking about Michael Bay's work in general. Do you notice it in his other women as well? I didn't notice it in Bad Boys 2, the, the sister who's uh -huh. in Bring It On. Right, right. So my point is, what was nice was an action heroine who didn't sound sexualized when right. she was breathing and, yeah. and all of that. And I really fucking appreciated that. Yeah. I really liked that she actually had muscle on her and you could see the muscle mm. on her. It, it was kind of on the same level as, you know, casting for Wonder Woman where it looked like someone... You know that would go to your CrossFit gym. Uh, so <laughs> right. she looks like so, Lara yeah. Croft looks like someone who would you yeah. know be training in a boxing club, right? You know? Yeah, or whatever the term is for it. So I really like that, and I love. I loved. There were so many moments where it, 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 you know, it was so tense. Like, is she gonna make it through this this part? Mm -hmm. Oh, someone's probably gonna come save her. And so I, I inevitably, you know, with conditioning of watching females in, in Hollywood films was thinking well you know I'm looking at my watch some guy should be coming in about one or two seconds and no guy came right. ever ever right. and it was fantastic I fucking loved that right well there is a, a male character that does come in but this male character is doesn't come in to save her no it's not it, it, I did not interpret it in that way no I don't it was like you're you on think. my property it wasn't even a saving it was, on, it was a, you're on my property, get the fuck off. 
Mm. And I'm going to break you three up, and I'm going to speak to you separately. I'm not sure that we're thinking of the same character, but we can talk more about that. No, much later. Well, damn it. Okay. (laughs) Well, (laughs) see, I'm straining to remember that. So I really enjoyed that. There's only one or two scenes that briefly they look like they they cleaned her up a little too much, but it was one or two scenes. Mm. So overall, they did pretty well with the film. What else did you like about the movie? I I think that's about all I I liked about it. Okay. You know? So... Moving on. (laughs) In terms of the bad, what what didn't we like about the movie? You know, I I feel like if you really want to nitpick... You could look at, you could look at any of these action adventure movies, be it Indiana Jones or 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 the like, you know, the mummy, what have you, and where they're going into ancient civilizations and there's all these traps and things like that. And you could probably nitpick, hey, how is it that they made they were able to make these things and stuff? I feel like if you're going to do that then you know, these kinds of movies aren't really for you. You kind of, like, at this point, you know, we're, we're almost 30, 40 years past Raiders of the Lost Ark. I was about to say it's the girl version of... Yeah, movies. but if you, at this point, almost 40 years later, can't accept certain things, then these movies aren't for you. Um, but it did occur to my, like, wait, so they built a wall with these locks, and if it was actually unlocked, it's just going to crumble? You know, not to not to get too deep into things. You know, you could go there. It's really, really nitpicky. I feel like there's something else, maybe about the villain or what have you, that could... Oh, like, the the overall organization that's, that's, that is in conflict with Laura. And when you learn what everything is kind of what the reality of the situation and everything is all about, you could kind of like, okay, so what do they plan on doing when they, if they were to achieve their goal? What do they plan on doing then, you know? But again, I think those are really minor nits. I think overall there's very little, like this is not, not to say that this is one of the greatest action movies of all time. You know, the material is not A-level material. It's just, it just, it is, you know, fine. It's, you know, perfectly... It's decent. Yeah, it's... It's not Mission Impossible awesome. No, no. But it, it's 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 perfectly acceptable. It's perfectly fun. It's entertaining. It's fairly solid. You know, I would... Yeah, I would, yeah. so I don't have a lot to nitpick. Maybe okay. a couple effects shots could have been better if they had a little bit more of a budget, but not a lot. Like the parachute sequence maybe uh, but you go ahead you seem to have a few of visual effects yeah uh, so i'll start there and work my way back to where i need to be so <laughs> the most important thing i need to nitpick there is a scene in the forest where she's running and it doesn't look like her feet are touching the ground mm. and i think that's because the forest was entirely cg'd you think so? Okay. I think so, because it just felt really freaking off. You the know? entire forest, or just that particular just that, scene? Just in that okay. scene. Okay. The forest in that scene. Yeah. So I don't know what they did there, but it does not look real at all. Okay. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't look like hyper-realistic light either. So, uh, there we go. <sighs> okay, so here's what I, ha- I took issue with. And it happens in the first 15 minutes, so I assume I get to talk about it. 
Yeah. Okay. So, you know, she goes to a boxing club. That's how she stays fit. Awesome. Yeah. So we see her in the boxing club. She's wearing short shorts, the kind of short shorts that parachute out. Girls probably know what I'm talking about. It's like runner shorts, but not the, like, fitted. It's like it's going to flare. And a sports bra. And that's, that's fine. That's great. I think it's good that they have that because then we establish how muscular and how capable, athletically capable she is. Okay. What I have a problem with is next to her, opposite her, is, you know, her fighting mate. Sparring mate, yeah. Okay, sure. And she, although she has a sports bra on, it's a longer sports bra, so it hides more of her body. And she is wearing three-quarter pants. And I wasn't okay with that. And the reason I'm not okay with it is because we are practically seeing Lara Croft naked for split seconds here and there within that scene. And it's like, oh, we want to objectify her a little bit, but we don't want to really objectify her, but we're just going to do a little bit over here. It didn't feel right to me. Had the person opposite her been even just wearing something that was slightly above the knee, it would have felt fashionably and imagery wise more equal to me Hmm. and unfortunately it just did not appear that way and it pissed me off to no end and then later you know they kind of redeem themselves because they actually dress her in decent clothing when she goes on her adventure they've dressed her in clothes that make sense but that did irk me a bit anything else Oh, I forgot about something that I loved. <laughs> we often do. Uh, do you want to focus first on finishing um, anything that you didn't like about the movie? Because maybe that's a great way to open up to general thoughts. Okay. Well, I can't really think of anything that's not spoilery that, ah. that I didn't like about the film. Okay. But don't get me wrong, guys. Like, I thought it was a fun film. It was just that part really upset me. Did it exceed your expectations? Yeah, I really thought I was going to walk into Tripe and Trash. <laughs> an objectification of the unrealistic female form okay yeah. so you thought this was going to be even worse than the oh, Angelina Jolie film my notebook actually starts with a man begins reading about a woman who uses dark magic quotation marks nope not empowering at all I mean he couldn't have even put it in a storybook to fancy it up a little bit it was just right there this woman's evil we must be aware of this. <laughs> it's like, but I let it go because the film That's changes. Ultimately, not what it's doing. But what but... I was doing was <laughs> I was taking note of all the bad shit. <laughs> You're and, looking and for it to I be chauvinistic. Looking, I was looking for it, but uh-huh. some some scenes were fine, and that one boxing scene was not. So they okay. they did fairly well overall. Okay. But let's right. do better next time, guys. Okay. All right. All right. So you had other thoughts that before we get into spoilers. Just a few. Okay. Was there anything that you wanted to discuss about the movie before we moved into spoilers, general thoughts or ideas that you might have appreciated or thought were interesting about the film? I just really liked that she didn't have someone saving her. She saved herself. You know, and also it's not about anybody falling in love with her too. Oh, I don't there, know. There is a ally or a friend but it doesn't become 
like a romantic interest, which there's a lot even, of respect. Yeah, even instead. the two thousand one film kind of went that route with Daniel Craig's character, which was kind of a trip to see. A, well, early even Daniel the butler was a little weird. Well, it was in comic relief, film. you know, and this film doesn't necessarily what? try. Oh, you're talking about in the two thousand one, right? How the is Angela like Julie? iron up your boss like that? Comic relief. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about specifically. I was talking about the character in general. Uh-huh. Because the character in general was meant to be comic relief, along with another character. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that's another thing this movie is kind of devoid of, too. Yeah, it doesn't have a lot of humor happening. Well, it's not that it doesn't have humor. It just it doesn't rely on a particular character cracking jokes mm-hmm. or anything, or being silly you're right. to do that, you know? So... Before we move on to spoilers for those, uh, just for the benefit of those who haven't seen the film, what what do you would you recommend this film? Where do you what are your uh, your feelings on the film? Yeah, I think people should check it out and, and form their opinions because maybe I missed something. I don't know. Okay, a strong recommendation for the film. I would say that I would give this film a six out of ten. First of all, wow, so generous. Know. Well, I mean, you know, what What was the movie that we watched? Wrinkle of Time, I gave that a 5 out of 10. Uh-huh. So, you, you know. Did. And I had a lot more problems with that film. Mm. But I think, you know, this is just a, if you are looking for a fun time at the movies, yeah. Tomb Raider is definitely going to satisfy that. Um, it's not an awful, awful movie. I do think this is one of the few times where I am in... Uh, conflict with the critics i feel like they really came out with their knives and forks and <laughs> were just like tearing this movie I need up to read what they say they well they basically really like accused the movie of being very generic very oh. you know we've been there done that and i really think that there's some there's some stuff this movie does that's interesting and and kind of defies certain expectations yeah i think they're a little overboard there yeah, um, so I really, you know, this is one of the few times I, I think that this movie is not nearly as bad as the critics say it is. I think you'll have a lot of fun. Go go check it out. Now, sounds like, Shannon, you have some stuff to, to discuss in spoilers, so let's move on to spoilers for Tomb Raider. All right, Shannon, what what did you need to discuss? What did you need to get off your chest? Well, I really, I have a lot to get off my chest. I really enjoyed the Indian family that she pops in on. Oh, help. who, like, by the way, I completely forgot about that. They just kind of are there, and then they're not. Yeah, that's, that's how nice it is, how quickly the film moves through. But what I liked about it is how in love the family is with her. And right. like, they're just hoping that their son makes a good impression. Yeah, on well, her. and or has the guts to ask her out. Yeah, and then he doesn't, and they right. slap him, over, you know, behind the head. And I just thought that was great. Yeah, I, I mean, we that. are talking about like a one-minute scene with characters that you yeah. never see again in the movie. Yeah, but it was great. It was a great moment. <laughs> I love moments like that. What What else? I really love that, you know, she was doing things that I think are illegal. Like, uh, she was doing the, the foxtail bicycle race. I don't know if it's illegal. I mean, I, I don't know anything about it. But I did like that that sequence mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit. That was a, a really cool sequence. Yeah. It made her look smart. Yeah. It made her look determined and capable. and Agreed. Yes. Yeah. So I really like that, yes. that they, they put her in something that's, you know, fairly practical in the real world. Yeah. 
that someone could relate to. It's not a giant robot that she has to train against. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything. Oh, my God. Yeah, you remember that? Oh, no. jumping down from the ceiling with silk bungee cords. What the fuck? Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, oh no, but... Uh, <laughs> no, but... Well, that also lends to the whole entire thing of Laura Croft, who's supposedly like this really rich, well-off British woman, being a, a food delivery person, mm. I thought was really, really and interesting and surprising. And training payments and... Right. Uh, uh, be able... Her membership to the yeah. gym and all that. Yes, right. Yeah, I liked that quite a bit. I thought that was very intriguing and very interesting way to start. Well, it's because there's a lot of people that can relate to that, right? We can't all relate to being someone who who, who is fortunate enough to be taken care of. Yeah, I took um, that too. Like, let's take um, Lara Croft out of the 1% for a moment, give a, a little bit of grounding, give her a reason why she wouldn't be all fancy and set up in, uh, in Croft Manor. You know, she this is isn't Bruce Wayne with an abundance of she, finances. Well, and this is someone who wants to, who wants to make it herself, right? She's in, she's rejecting the family fortune, but also obviously she's rejecting it because it's a certain omission of her father yes. being dead. Yes. But I feel like she's like she's also doing it because she wants to exert her own independence too, yeah. and and not just live a posh life now. She goes through the adventure and she ends up taking over everything and taking residence in Croft Manor at the end of the film. Um, you do have this grounding foundation that's yeah, laid for the Yeah, I character. think that's really well said. Yeah. I, I agree with that <clears throat> and I really appreciated that mm-hmm. because young girls can relate to that too. Mm-hmm. Not, not necessarily from a 1% pers- perspective, but definitely from a I want to make my own way mm-hmm. kind of thing that's what uh, a lot of you know au pairs that I've spoken to that's that's one of the main reasons why they wanted to be an au pair they wanted to sure. get away from from that and figure things out for themselves not that she was <clears throat> heavily guardianed but was there anything else that you wanted to discuss in spoilers no nothing that comes to mind I think like we we should take just a moment anyway to really address Walton Goggins, who's a, a fine character actor. He plays the villain in this film, and a villain who I thought was just going to be one-dimensional and have this goal of getting the evil thing uh, just because and all that sort of stuff, which is kind of what the original Tomb Raider film was. And instead, we get a character who he's been sent out by a company. He has bosses. And he's just the, the, the guy who was told what to do, and he doesn't get to come home till he's done with his job. Yeah, it's actually unfortunate for him. And he's, you know, there is a little bit, though it, maybe there could have been more to it in the film, but there is a little bit of, God damn it, I've been away from my family for seven years. I just want to go home. I have to complete this job to do it. If you don't help me, for God's sakes, I'm going to blow through you. Yeah. You know? And I appreciated that that extra little layer to the character, and, but then you get into the whole like when you learn what the whole deal is with the. I was about to say I actually appreciated that this the so-called witch was actually someone who sacrificed herself. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. She. It turns out um, she wasn't a sorceress. She was just a carrier, a courier for some sort of a virus and. Incredibly potent virus. You know? Unintentional. Right. No. No. She. But she. So she sa- tried saving her kingdom, yeah. more or less, 
by entombing herself in an incredibly elaborate tomb, <laughs> but doing so nonetheless. And then, uh, which I, I thought was cool too, but when you, my one little nitpick is if you think about the, the Trinity, the organization's goal, their goal is to basically have this bio, bio warfare, right? Yeah. Or, or, well, or at least this biohazard, right? Yeah. What is their goal when they have this? What do they plan on doing? Like, mm. you know, and well, that's unclear. Oh, well, I would assume, I assume that they would get the object that they need to get the chemical that they need, and they would try to figure out a antidote in case they need it, and then they would release it upon someone who needs to listen to them. Or whatever they need to gain. All of which is fair, but it's all conjecture, and the movie gives us no motive. I think it's great that we didn't that we didn't get spoon fed that shit. Mm. Like, like whoever wants this virus yeah. is a madman in the you know period. Yeah. Like whoever wants this, you should not be doing business with. And well, we learn it may be Kristen Scott Thomas. Yeah. Which yeah. is like, well, and I like that that's a, a great villain. setup to a bigger story yeah. into a sequel. It made me excited about the sequel. Really? Okay. It did. I'm actually like, ooh, and what's Laura Croft going to do? <laughs> so, because she's she has legally signed papers that makes... That gives that, that person a certain yeah. degree of power yeah. in the company. Um, and she has some sort of ties, some, you know, history with this, this character too. Mm-hmm. So that complicates things in the long term. Yeah, I'd be interested in seeing more Tomb Raider uh, with Alicia Vikander also. Yeah. Nick Frost makes a cameo, more or less, or if not, has a small supporting role as a pawn shop owner. Oh, that's fun to see him. essentially helps arm her (laughs) at the end. (laughs) It's his Um, wife that helps arm her, okay. That's actually true. It is. It's not the... It's yeah, not him. yeah, and I felt like I should recognize who that actress <laughs> is, and I, I. Oh, okay. I know this is weird, but I love that everyone sounded British for real. Well, yeah, it actually does take place in London. Yeah. Or you know Somewhere that area. In England. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so everybody has an English accent, yeah. not an American accent, or. So or I really some enjoyed sort of that. Although at one point, does she not travel to China or Japan? Yeah. And that's where she gets into trouble, where yes. she's looking around trying to find someone who speaks English. Yes. Yeah, okay. I'm making sure I Why understood. Why is that a problem? Uh, because at one point, a character says something about San Francisco and and China, like body of water between San Francisco and China, and it really confused me. I was like, wait. I thought that's because there's a lot of immigrants that left Japan and China to get to San Francisco. Okay, okay. Chinatown. I, I that was just... Something that I don't think I. Well, and I also feared. think it's a it's it's the it's the ship line, you know, if you're transporting. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I just don't think I comprehended that very well. The ship channel. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So final thoughts. This will be my final thought. This movie wasn't half bad. Agreed. Better than I expected. Achieved what I hoped for. Definitely a recommendation here. But no Black Panther. That, no. Right? All no. right. All right. So that, that about does it for Tomb Raider and our uh, future review. Have you seen Tomb Raider? What did you think? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Okay. Now it's time to get into film faves. Film faves, for those who are not familiar, is a section of the podcast inspired by a 
a feature on the Gibson Review website where we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Why 12? Well, because most lists have five or 10 and an honorable mention, and we cut all that out and just do a full dozen. So no honorable mentions, these are our favorites. We also march through time too. We started in 2016, I believe, and have now arrived to the year 2000 with this episode. The purpose is to give you an idea of our taste in film, but also hopefully expose you to films you have yet to see. And as such, we do point you in the direction of where you can find certain films available to stream. Um, not on all streaming services, because there's way too many to track, but we do focus on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and HBO Now. All right, so, Shanna. You have had a history of having a really hard time with some of these year-by-year -year lists. Was the year 2000 at least easier than 2001 for you? It was easier. However, I'm realizing I haven't watched a lot of these films again. And so it might be whatever age I was at that time. Uh -huh. That might be who's making this list sometimes. Sure. At least with a couple of the choices. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. For me, this was actually a really decent year. I, I had no problems at all coming up with several movies, and even my top six, five or six, was such a solid list of films that I had a hard time putting them in order and uh. figuring out, oh, what's my second favorite? What's my first favorite? All that sort of stuff. Also, I will say, this is the first list in a long time where half of my list are available right now to stream on the platforms we focus on. So that's very exciting. Uh, but Shanna, what is your number 12 favorite film of the year 2000? My number 12 is Center Stage. I do need to watch this again, but my teen self loved this film. The soundtrack was great. Whenever I hear one of the songs from that movie, I usually think of the scene that goes with it because the dance was so much fun. No La La Land, singing in the rain quality but it wasn't about fantasy it was fairly realistic because it's about a bunch of you know adolescent young adolescents that have been accepted into a prestigious ballet right ballet company and they're kind of vying for the main characters in this mm. production because of course as everyone knows they make it's either a single or a quarterly production every year yeah right. and so every that all these people are training all year round and then you know eventually people get cast but that's mm -hmm. what they're working towards so it's kind of like black swan without the, without the psychological trauma? thriller aspect yeah okay. it, it could be interesting to watch center stage and then black swan mm. just to get an idea because center stage focuses on you know how much fun the movement can be mm. but also how stressful the movement can be but not to the point that black swan does and also how bitchy people can be yeah there is some bitchiness happening in here and there is some backstabbing and there is also some sexual assault because why Good not times. why <laughs> not you know a white man in power why not let's just throw that in there like oregano so <laughs> <laughs> okay. i throw oregano in everything 
Okay, uh, so throw a sexual assault and everything. All right, so well, doesn't it feel like that? <laughs> a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. Gotcha. So, okay. My number twelve <laughs> is Scream Three, which oh my god. Yeah, a lot of people are not fans of Scream Three for some no, reason. No, I'm just shocked that that's on your list. But go on. Oh no, I love the Scream trilogy. Actually, a lot of people like Scream Two, and I actually think that's the one that works the least out of the trilogy mm-hmm. I, I find the most ridiculous out of them in terms of what the what the end hat trick is uh, but screen three I, I really enjoy this one is actually set in uh, in Hollywood this time and so it has a lot of fun you get some cameos in it it takes place on a film set some of the time the cast is definitely a game here and it closes I think it's a satisfactory end to the Sydney Prescott story. I have not seen Scream 4. I was going to ask you if you had. I do not have is interest. She in I I think so, but here's the thing. I loved these characters so much that I don't want to see a fourth movie because I'm afraid it exists partially to kill some of these characters I love off. Oh. You know, like I don't want to see Gail Weathers or Dewey be killed in a, in a number four, or even Sidney Prescott or anything, you know? I don't know that necessarily that that's what happens, but you gotta think that they make a fourth one partially to do that, and to and, and it had this young cast and everything. Anyway. It's to piss people off. So, Scream 3 is a really great, nice little bow for me, all the way down to the end, and I, mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of fun with it. Not a fan of seeing Jenny McCarthy get killed, especially in my early 20s, but I forgive the film for that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My number 11 is 28 Days, starring Sandra Bullock. This is about Sandra Bullock's character being forced into rehab due to an incident at her sister's wedding. And she has to work through her shit. She has to work through why she's an alcoholic. She has to work through all that pain, tease that all out. And I enjoy watching Sandra Bullock. I like the way it was shot. I always wondered what it was like to be drunk and <laughs> the way they move the camera <laughs> is definitely implying what drunkness could be. So there we go. My number 11 is X-Men. A movie that... <gasps> Why is it so low? Well, I was about to say <laughs> my 20-year-old self probably would have ranked this higher. However, this movie... Well, okay, so first of all, it's still a favorite because... This is the movie that finally brought some of my favorite characters uh, in comic book history to the screen. Okay, so first of all, huge excitement, huge geekgasm, right? And probably why my 20-year-old self would have probably put this in the top six, right? Rather than the bottom six. However, time hasn't been necessarily kind to the original X-Men movie, and not only does it act more or less as a 90-minute prologue to X-Men 2, which is a much better movie, but it does, it does, have, it does have its flaws. Um, Magneto's plan is very much a comic booky plan, you know? <laughs> it's very kind of... It has a silly aspect to it. Sabretooth looks like Sabretooth, but he's, you know, he's played by a wrestler, and maybe that's probably one of the reasons why it's, you know, his performance isn't spectacular. 
there's there's some there's it's it, it's a little rough. It hasn't held up over the past eighteen years that great, but it is still not bad uh, and still enjoyable. And it, it does serve as a great, you know, this is where it all started, you know, in terms of Fox's, you know, X Men series, and so um, it still hangs in my list uh, for for that reason alone. How sweet of you! So my number ten is The Family Man, and it stars Nicolas Cage and Tia Leone. And this is, you know, it's it's a good Christmas film. It's usually available to stream during Christmas time. I think it was on Netflix last year, so mm -hmm. it just depends. You know, look for it during Christmas time. There's an alternate timeline that happens. An incident mm -hmm. happens, and he's thrown back to where he didn't make the decision of where he ends up right now. Mm -hmm. And he gets to live what that's like. Mm -hmm. And you guys know that I love alternate timelines and time travel. Sure. One yeah. scene that in particular that always stuck with me is, you know, Nicolas Cage and Tia Leone and the alternate timeline are married, and that's no secret because it's in the trailer. Right. And that is alone reason <laughs> enough for it to be a dream. Yeah. <laughs> Being married to Tia Leone. <laughs> yep. You know, they're, they're making out, and she says, tell me what I want to hear. And he tells her surface shit that you would tell someone that you're just oh, having right. fun with, and instead of just taking it, she pulls away from him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Terribly hurt. Mm -hmm. And he has never obviously thought about what he says to a woman yeah, right. during that, that, those intimate moments. And he right. is left to figure it all out. And I think that that is actually where he needs to actually, he, figure, he realizes he needs to sit down and figure out why this is happening to him mm. instead of just trying to survive the craziness of it. Yeah, that, that, you know, that, that film is directed by Brett Ratner, who I absolutely hate. The guy's a pig. Oh. But this film is probably the only good film or the only decent film he's I ever like made. And it, it, you, you could retroactively say, hey, this is kind of him working through some shit. Like, oh, maybe know, it is. Like, he is Nick Cage, you know, the career man, not, yeah. you know, not the family man at all. But uh, a lovely film, I have to admit. I hate to admit it, but it is a lovely film, and I always well, I like cry Taya like Leone. a baby at the end, so that's yeah. why I don't watch it often. <laughs> right, and I, I wish there was more Taya Leone in film. Mm. My next film, my tenth favorite film, is Fantasia Two Thousand, which is available. Why is on... that so low? Because there's so many good movies. <laughs> this is available on Hulu, and in, in case I didn't mention, Scream Three is on Netflix. I wasn't sure if I mentioned that, so I want to make mm. sure it's in there. But uh, Fantasia Two Thousand is on Hulu. This was the revival of Fantasia. Of course, Walt Disney had always planned on making a new Fantasia every few years. And Great that man. did Great idea. not right, that did not work out. Hell, this revival didn't necessarily work out because, you know just in the box office. It's already um, eighteen years later and we haven't had another one, right? Wait, um, wait, it, oh my god. What? I just realized how much time has passed by. <laughs> Yes, lovey. <laughs> anyway, I thought this was gorgeous. I love this film. I find several of the sequences. I, I actually, I, I like this more than the original Fantasia. What? Yeah, as blasphemy. Much, I know. Well, as a, as I know, as a film geek, it is sort of blasphemous to say that. But I find the visuals so much richer, so much more beautiful. The the mm. the pieces that they chose so much more interesting and better. And they did and, choose good pieces. There's a 
cacophony between the music and the visual, mm. right? That's they, that they sometimes definitely are going against what you normally think of when you hear the like piece. Like Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah, or even Pomp and Circumstance, you know? But Oh my um, god, yeah. That yeah, was fun. But I, I enjoy... I would say, I think maybe there's one or two that are kind of like ho-hum, but that is it. That is it. I love this thing. It mm. is so awesome. And, and the, the the Firebird Suite, oh the final God, piece, so is so stirring. Oh, come on. And, well, I, and I Rhapsody love the in Flamingos. Blue, yeah, that's, that's fun. But Rhapsody yeah. in Blue is actually that's one of my favorites, too. That's so, so good. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's my favorite one. That's uh, Fantasia 2000. You can check out what, what our random references we're actually talking about. You really about yourself should. It'll be worth it. On Hulu. So my number nine is available on HBO. It's The Kid. It stars... Bruce Willis, and it is also <laughs> alternate timelines, time travel, uh, figuring out your shit, because his younger self appears, and he can't make his younger self go away <laughs> until he works through something, and I love the concept of meeting different ages of yourself. It's it's actually a very cool meditation practice if you're doing meditations. There's a moment when I think... They changed something together in the apparent timeline that you're looking at. And Bruce Willis says to his kid self, oh, my God, it's, it's going to get worse. But then it obviously gets better, mm. you know, because he's still standing there. So I and I think that's really that right there. It's such a painful moment that's happening because he's like, oh, my God, it's because he's living it all at once because the timeline's catching up with his his body and stuff. But it's such a strong and powerful moment because that's always what it's like. We go through these, you know, real moments where we're like, oh my God, life is so shitty right now. And then we come out of it a month or a year later and things are so, so much better, better than they ever could be. So that's my number nine. Uh, my next film is Dancer in the Dark, directed by Lars von Trier. It is a musical. It is probably looking through his career my favorite film of his and maybe the one of two that i would actually revisit the other one being melancholia which we talked about several episodes back when we did our favorite film faves 2011 but yes this movie does have a gut punch at the end no doubt but bjork though going through a production that swore her off of doing any film ever again does give a wonderful performance as a mother who is going blind but is also trying to provide for her son it is uh, tragic it is heartbreaking but it has also some gorgeous music Uh, i love the the songs in this and i love the sequences uh in this Uh, joel gray also has a supporting role and there is also, I think, what's her name from Umbrellas of Shrabor is in this film as well. Catherine Deneuve is also in this film. Oh, and one of your favorite guys, Zelushko Ivanek, a character actor who is in, like, Madame Secretary and a bunch of other things, um, is in this film, too. So, Dancer in the Dark, I think, is underrated, and uh, you should definitely seek it out. If you can. My number eight is High Fidelity. 
and this stars John Cusack. There's a couple of other awesome uh, actors and actresses in this film as well. And it's about his character is the owner of a vinyl record store. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's kind of the same thing. <laughs> Sorry, it's really funny. <laughs> and it's based in Chicago. And yeah, that's kind of the setting. And he has a bunch of, you know, he has his employee, employee. He has, you know, what that that one fan of the shop that comes in like every day to buy something or talk, geek out. Uh, I wish we had video stores. Well, no, you, you have but. two guys who act as employees, but he fired them long oh, ago, and they just keep coming. Is back. that what it was? Yeah, yeah. But the most important part of this film is John Cusack is working through his difficulties with relationships and something starts with his girlfriend leaving him mm-hmm. and you know you don't really know why and then you know at the end it's revealed why and oh it's, it's not like, even the end it's like halfway through the movie oh uh, yeah it feels like the end jesus right. yeah. but you know you see what he did yeah. and it's just shocking and painful and upsetting yeah right and it's like how do you not see that how do you not see that in yourself and it's a very good performance because he kind of he he gets through it and he realizes how much of an asshole he is awesome my next film is requiem for a dream we're going for a cheery duo here my number eight is requiem for a dream which you can find on hulu and amazon prime it is darren aronofsky's second film and i think the one that got him the most attention that led to the career that he has now it stars Jennifer Connelly and Jared Leto, Marlon, I think it's Marlon Wayans is in it, and Ellen Burstein, uh, Chris McDonald, who we mentioned was in Thelma and Louise. So we have a couple ties here. We have a tie to Mother, we have a tie to Thelma and Louise here. Nice. Uh, no, this, this movie is uh, one hell of a gut punch. If you are of a certain age, and you see this movie, it will swear you off drugs. Unless you're the most Maybe we stubborn. should show Logan this weekend. Uh, not this weekend. <laughs> I do think it's a great film to just shock the hell out of a, uh, a child of a certain age and make them just get that ingrained in their head, drugs are bad, period. <laughs> Trauma um, films help save lives. <laughs> right. No, but uh, it, it's a great film about addiction in general. And it is dark. It is unsettling, but it is incredibly well acted, incredibly well directed, great visuals, and one of the best scores ever. And it's got a great earworm of a score. Huh. I, I absolutely love by, I think it's called the Coronas Quan, uh, Quartet. Oh, so good, so good. If you have the stomach for it, you should definitely seek out Requiem for a Dream on Hulu or Amazon Prime, just know, you know, like most Aronofsky films, it's not going to be a happy time at the movies. Okay, so my number seven, it's Unbreakable. And it stars Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. And Bruce Willis is the sole survivor of a just awful train wreck. And Samuel L. Jackson is uh, someone who has a disease that makes him incredibly fragile. He breaks bones very easily he gets injured very easily I I don't remember what it's called but he essentially he lives his life through comic books Mm -hmm. particularly superhero comic books and you know at times this film can be a little 
a little boring for me. Oh. At, just just in moments where I'm like, but why are we going over here? I don't understand. It's kind of like a when will we get there? Huh. For me, sometimes. But then I see the end and I'm like so rewarded because mm. I'm like, no. Mm. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's so like, really? You know, it's like so surprising to me. It turns out, and it's no spoiler, Bruce Willis has some sort of, you know, an equivalent of a superpower because he never gets injured. So it's these two polar opposite characters living their lives, and it's just really interesting how they contrast. And it's fascinating watching a sort of realistic depiction of someone who would maybe gain something that we view as a superpower, Mm -hmm. how that would affect his life, how that would affect his wife, his kid, I mean, it, it does something to his kid. And it's just, it's like real life drama for superheroes. Mm. So, without the flying. Awesome pick. My next film is Battle Royale from Japan. Oh shit, I forgot about that one. That is available to stream on Netflix. Don't this... eat anything while you're watching it. Oh. <laughs> no, this movie, if you are a fan of Hunger Games... You need to see Battle Royale. I have been saying this for like five plus years now. You preach it. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, this movie is Hunger Games before Hunger Games. is also based on a book. Uh, this movie plops you into the situation of kids being forced to kill each other to survive. Uh, it's in a kind of a dystopian Japanese future culture. The, what, what this film does so well is it makes you feel like, what would you do? It puts you in that situation. It makes you terrified. What would you do in this situation where you were forced? You know, you think back to your 8th grade or ninth grade classmates. Would you really be able to bring yourself to try to kill all of your classmates, ultimately? And it is... It is intense, it is at times quite bloody, but it also looks at the situation from different angles. You know, some characters try to figure out how to cheat the system, how to break the system. You know, all these all these different aspects to it. You know, some kids, they, they, they give up, they commit suicide. You know, it, it is so, so smart, you know, about this setup. So much smarter than Hunger Games So much was. smarter. So yeah. much smarter. And in less time. Now... Of course, Hunger Games became a much different thing. It, it, it was kind of like Battle Royale mixed with Star Wars, you know, where it ends up having it being about more about this rebellion who's trying to overthrow, whereas Battle Royale is really f- just focused on the game itself, mm-hmm. right? So in, if you're to just compare Battle Royale with the first chapter of Hunger Games, the first movie, it is such a smarter and more intense and grisly version and it, if you haven't seen it, you must check this out. It even has an awesome epic opening. That's that's so cool. It's, I was it's in. Quite I was something. in. Like yeah. that, those first five minutes, I'm like, all right, I'm on board. <laughs> How long anyway. is it again? Like two hours? Oh, I don't remember. I but remember it being pretty epic. You can find out by checking it out on Netflix. Okay, so my next one, number six, is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. This is all about a sword. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the story does build upon this sword that is being delivered 
to a particular uh, place and it's stolen and then they have to find it and the way this film breaks its story into different little sections without boring you to death is is really cool the structure of it is really cool but then you know we're talking about choreography and cinematography and lighting and color symbolism is just so fucking exciting so i recommend that film also there's a bit of love in there there's a whole lot of action it's got a lot a little of, bit of love here yeah. yeah a little bit of love there murder deceit yeah. trail it's great <laughs> Uh, my number six is Meet the Parents with Ben Stiller and like Robert De Niro. The original Meet the Parents, not the sequels. You notice those did not come up in past episodes. Uh, this one is actually funny. This one actually has heart to it. This one um, is actually got some good setup and jokes. I mean, Ben Stiller is just a put-upon guy who's just trying to impress his parent-in-law-to-be, right? And he's just just having a disaster one after another you know from accidentally setting a place on fire to accidentally giving his sister-in-law to be a giant fucking like black eye you know losing a dog all these things just wait they lost it a dog? becomes a nightmare no sorry not dog a, a dog a cat a cat oh, okay all right right Move on. It, it becomes just a giant nightmare and we watch ben stiller just suffer and we laugh at his suffering because it's hilarious and there's so many things that you can quote like you know the nipple scene and all that you know so yeah hilarious movie i will go so far as to say this is the only robert de niro comedy of this century that is worth watching however i do like in the meet the fockers how robert de niro's character went ahead and shaped a boob for breastfeeding Look, I... I'm giving her that, a look. Not that I love the concept, but I love how stupid it is. <laughs> but anyway. Also, <laughs> I, think, I think Meet the Parents, it, it makes you appreciate your in-laws. Well, yeah, absolutely. But it also feeds on all the fears we have. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, exactly. Um, I think that that was... I think it's really interesting if, if you marry someone in their country and then your parents come over and you're not really sure what you're going to get. Mm. You as the the daughter, uh, you know, of that family, and then the son-in. Yes. So my number five is Miss Congeniality. Again, Sandra Bullock. She is a cop. She's actually a detective. She's trying to get some decent work, you know. She's trying to do something that has meaning. And then they assign her to be the undercover pageant participant to figure out where this terrorist issue is is coming from Mm -hmm. and i mean this movie you talk about you know meet the parents is so quotable this movie is quotable to me i was like he thinks it's this big but really it's about these big you know every girl can relate to that line and it's hilarious i laugh hysterically every time i watch this film and we actually listened to the commentary uh to this film that's right yeah and we thought it was pretty good yeah i think we gave it a, a Three or a four out of five for the commentary specifically. It's been a while, but uh, that was definitely a movie that that was better than I expected it to be. My number five is Aaron Brockovich, which is on HBO now. Why is that so low? Like I said, man, the top the top six are so good. It's hard to arrange them. But Aaron Brockovich is uh, definitely among the top three films of the year, among the best for sure. 
this is probably, you could probably say the same thing in terms of Julia Roberts' career as well. This is easily one of her three best uh, films, one of her three best performances. Mm. I love her in this film. I love her the story, which is, of course, based on a real person story, Aaron Varkovich, and, um, and, Man, and, and her attempts story. to litigate a energy company, as I understand, for slowly poisoning its uh, neighboring communities. It's, it's, it's witty, it's funny, it's one of Steven Soderbergh's most accessible films. Remember this actually came out the same year as uh, Traffic, also by Soderbergh, mm-hmm. uh, too, which was uh, about um, you know, the war on drugs and such. A little more of a tapestry, that film. but And this is a little more of a streamlined story, but so much more enjoyable for me. And Albert Finney is great as Aaron's boss. I mean, it's just it's oh god, a lot, I love right? him so much at the end. Oh yeah, yeah, he, he's great. <laughs> Aaron Eckhart is really good as mm. the love interest who he's really so tries young. to stick by him. By by Aaron, I mean, it's Aaron Brockovich, man, it's it's great, and it's all on HBO now. My number four is Rugrats in Paris, and this is where Chucky eventually gets a sister. And I feel like this is one of those rare cases where the sequel is so much better than the first movie. This was, you know, obviously this was a TV show. It's a Nickelodeon TV show uh, that, I don't know, it's on Hulu, the the seasons. And I think they've got something ridiculous, like 13 seasons. Damn. 12 seasons, something ridiculous. And I watched the first Rugrats film and I was so freaking excited to see it and I was really disappointed and then I watched Rugrats in Paris this the like, yeah. the sequel and I just loved it so freaking much because they go to a sort of you know they go to reptile land Euro reptile land and it's like a Disney Euro Disneyland and it it's so magical how they come to find who's going to be Chucky's mom and sister. Mm. And, you know, there's one song that makes me bawl my eyes out, probably worse than, you know, Toy Story 2, Sarah. Yeah, 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 Sarah McLaughlin. And when she, when she loved me. Maybe it's the same person. I don't know. Yeah. But I really, I really love that. And I love how the animation style improved from the first movie to the second movie. And uh, I think it's, it's a great film about family. My fourth favorite film of 2000 is Unbreakable. Now, this is a a comic geek here, right? And here you are. You got M. Night Shyamalan coming right off of The Sixth Sense, making a movie about a character who's convinced that comic books are exaggerations of real life. He has an art gallery that's geared towards comic book covers i think and all this sort of stuff right so how can my 20 year old self not love this already right but then you have bruce willis he's being convinced that he is is someone special he survived a tragic train accident in the beginning of the movie for a purpose what we come to find out in the last 10 minutes of the movie is is one of M. Night Shyamalan's best hat tricks. I think his last great film mm-hmm. for many years, I think, like, you know, his, his career really had a, had a 
a steady downward slope. Oh, I thought it was a you know a drop. And well, like a solid drop. I mean, you had you, you had sixth sense, then you had unbreakable, then you had science, and then you had I think the village, and it, it just kind of went down lower. Oh, okay, low, no, low, you're low, right. Low, right. You're right. And then it just it bottoms out with like the last Airbender and um, what was that one about nature and the wind, whatever. The knowing. No, that's in the cage movie. Anyway, the happening. There we go. Woo! Some bad shit, man. But he's bouncing back. He's bouncing back. At any rate, Unbreakable. Dude, second best M. Night Shyamalan film. You got Sam Jackson, Bruce Willis, Robin Wright Penn. What a combo. And yeah, you, you mentioned the son and the father, and they actually are able to bond a little more because of the experiences uh, Bruce Willis's character is going through. Um, I love this movie. I, I will not give up my special edition of this movie on DVD. I love it. Anyway, back to you. So my number three is Fantasia 2000. Oh. Jeff's already spoken about this, but I loved Fantasia growing up. And we had sing-along VHSs where they... I don't think that America had them. There's a sing-along to Fantasia? No, no, no. Like, they took songs from different Disney films. Yeah, and, yeah, we had those. Oh, yeah. you did? Okay. Yeah. So I loved seeing all the music stuff in, in one single film, you know? Mm. So when I when I saw Fantasia for the first time, I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. And I would have it playing in my room all the time, except when the dinosaurs came on, then I'd run to my mom. You're talking about um, the original Fantasia. The original gotcha, Fantasia. Gotcha, So, but because that was so special to me, I never watched Fantasia 2000 uh-huh. when it came out. Okay. I only watched it when I think I was... Like twenty four, so like only a few years ago, hey. Only a few years like ago. Like ten, definitely ten years after it came out. Yeah. yeah. And I did a double feature. I, yeah. You know, the one night I watched Fantasia, and then the second night I watched Fantasia two. Okay. And, and how I, how did it compare for you? I thought to myself, why the fuck didn't I watch this sooner? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was like, why did I let people turn me off of it? You know, Cause sometimes it's a little that easier happens. to digest too, right? It is. It's yeah. it's. I love the presenters. You know, you have Angela sure. Lansbury, you have Bette Midler turning her nose up at something, you know, different ideas that Disney yes. went through. Steve Martin, also. Oh, Steve Martin's yeah. there, and... James Earl Jones, yes, yeah. that's right, yeah. He, he is like, he looks at his, like, script and he's like, what? So it's yeah. like a really comic moment. Right. But my favorite and most appropriate presenters are Penn and Teller, Oh, I forgot. The yeah. magicians, the very yeah, famous yeah, magicians. Yeah. and Well, I I love them. Yeah. I think they're so great and so funny. And they are the ones that reintroduce Mickey Mouse's Sorcerer's Sorcerer's piece. Apprentice, yes. Yeah. And I just thought that that was so appropriate. And I mean, my favorite, uh, I think I, I didn't like maybe one or two sequences, but yeah. just because it was, I just, I didn't, I didn't... The Tin Man or the Tin Soldier like is one. the one that just came to mind. That's like my least favorite. Well, and I yet. didn't like the whales. I can't remember what. Oh, was. I love the whales. Oh, okay. Oh man. I don't know. There's something about it that makes me. Maybe it's like my it's dinosaur the piece version too. For me, the, I piece, love the piece is good. Yeah. But definitely Rhapsody in Blue yeah, uh, is yeah. my favorite, and I cry every time when it's. Um, like the graduation song. What is it actually? Pomp and Circumstance. Yeah. yeah. I cry every time at the end of it. Uh, yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> so it's great. Uh, I'm going to try to pick up my clip here a little. My third favorite film 
is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Woo-hoo. which I believe we talked about in a previous episode. I can't remember what the context yeah, just was. Right but a uh, beautiful film. It was the most significant foreign film of the decade because it launched a whole trend of a film coming into the States and being, you know, popular. You know, the film of the year. Hero was one of those. Amelie was one also the next, mm-hmm. you know, in 2001. Anyway, beautiful film. It's aching. It's got so much poetry to it. 90% of the visuals still hold up today, I think. There's only one shot that I have seen, because we watched it last year. One shot that doesn't hold up. That's a total green screen shot, but the rest of it is just so gorgeous and incredible. And, of course, the the action choreography is... What makes you think it's all real? It doesn't feel like it's fantasy Right, and imagine putting (laughs) yourself back in 2000. If it felt real now... Back then, it was just uh, your mouth was on the floor the entire time, right? I was like, who do I need to sign up with so that I can be like that? Right, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I love the film. Couldn't put it above uh, anything else prior on this list. So that's my number three. My number two is X-Men, and all I need to say about that... Yeah, all I need to say about that is, you know, a little girl who only got to see a couple episodes of the animation Mm. finally gets to see the fucking movie... Mm very exciting for me it's yeah. it's a sentimental movie for sure for me i i hear that i hear that absolutely absolutely my second favorite film of to the year 2000 is high fidelity i f- of course it's fucking high. love this movie right <laughs> when i was 20 this okay so this is gonna sound bad but this movie was me i mean because i can't believe you did something like that no 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 here's the thing <laughs> it's all about audiophiles right at that time in my life, I was all about music, music appreciation. I was a bit of a snob. I was all about absorbing the best of the best of the best. And, you know, I had opinions about music. Imagine that, mm. me having opinions. Oh, yes. Right? <laughs> no, but and the, the whole idea, the top five lists and everything, I mean, I'm making lists. Yeah. You know, it's it's it, it was so me. I loved it. And the book by Nick Hornby, I think he also did the script, too, of the movie. Mm. Nick Hornby's book is so good, but you know it's a movie that also gets better as you age. Yes. Uh, you 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 understand it differently. You mm. come at it differently. You start to appreciate it differently, right? Especially this story about this guy who's going from X to X, trying to figure out what is the thing that 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 makes people break up with him all the time, right? So very briefly, tell me what was the strongest thing you interpreted as your 20-year-old self, and what now at this age? I'm not sure, without giving it further thought, I could recall what it was about the main love story, that how I related to that at that age. I can say I related to everything else in the film strongly at that age and it was just a new refreshing way at tackling the romantic comedy genre now you know i am able to appreciate the conclusion he comes to at the end mm-hmm. you know about about the fantasy being a fantasy and that's all it is and he wants ultimately he wants the real thing you know he wants the, the the grandma panties, you know, <laughs> you know, not not the lingerie. Ultimately, long term, you know, it's not a very romantic film. 
And it's really about one person figuring it out, right? Right, and his conclusion isn't the mo- isn't the sweetest, you know, sweep you off your feet conclusion. But it's it's there's truth to it, and I prefer love stories that have truth mm. or about something. And this film definitely does that. So anyway, I, I've rambled enough about High Fidelity. It's my second favorite film of 2000. Awesome. My number one is available on HBO. There's actually a wonderful list that HBO Go has where it's like leading ladies, strong woman, and in each category that they have, there's about 10 films. So go ahead and check that out. But my number one is Erin Brockovich. And I've spoken about this before in previous episodes, but she's amazing. And oh my gosh, wouldn't it be a cool double feature if you watched The Florida Project and then Erin Brockovich? I think that would be pretty cool. That is an interesting thought. Yeah. Well, you know, it's two moms that are struggling, and it just shows how just very two different, different pers- moms, different personalities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You know, and, and what can result from those personalities? I think yeah. it's an interesting observational double feature. Interesting. Interesting. My favorite film of the year two thousand is Almost Famous. Of course, it is. Again, it's an, uh, you know audiophile music. It's all about rock music of a particular era you know the 70s this is the era that had you know led zeppelin and allman brothers and so many other uh famous rock bands came about this is semi-autobiographical it's directed by uh, cameron crowe who actually lived the experiences of the boy in this film and i love it i love the music which is created by nancy wilson who was of heart, right? A 70s band before they went into cheesy power ballads in the 80s. But 70s band. No, there's so much I love about this. This is Kate Hudson's best performance um, and perhaps her best role as Penny Lane. You have Jason Lee in it as one of the out-of-focus guys. You know, it's just a wonderful cast. You, if you eagle-eye, you'll start to notice people like Jay Baruchel, who would end up having a career later. It's wonderfully written. Beautiful music sequences like the Tiny Dancer sequence. No, I absolutely love this movie, and I do not think Cameron Crowe has made a film nearly as good since, unfortunately. He... His, his streak ended with Almost Famous, that, that's for sure. Um, but boy, what a, a, a great film. Uh, he could have just retired and had like the best career if this was his uh, last film. Yeah, so that's my favorite film of the year 2000. What is your favorite film of the year 2000? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That's going to be about it for us in this episode of The Movie Lovers. Next episode, episode 27, is Ready Player One. And uh, we're going to do something a little bit interesting. Uh, We have now captured our favorite films of the past decade, the year 2000 and the year 2009. So what we'll do is count down our favorite films of that decade. What 12 movies will be on our list? Stay tuned. That should hit on April 10th. So 
that is our next episode of the Movie Lovers. Shanna, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at my website, shannapaxton.com, and you'll be able to find my social media channels through there. But if you want to go and tootle on over to Instagram, that's going to be women's journey to empowerment underscore between the words and it's ens because it's a single woman's journey excellent go to the gibsonreview.com for our past episodes past lists past articles and reviews go to the gibson review on facebook to find mini reviews third-party links as well as links to these episodes Find these episodes also on iTunes. Please give us reviews. We love constructive feedback. We appreciate them, and they help people find us. And also, feel free to head on over the flick chart at the Gibson 99, and you'll find my list of all the movies that I have seen over the years. That's going to do it. Until next time, this is Jeff and Shanna saying keep loving the movies. Bye-bye.